You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. With me are Hannes van den Berg, co-head SA Equity and Multi-Asset, and Chris Stewart, Sector Head Financials, both at 91 in Cape Town. Welcome to you both, Hannes and Chris. And Hannes, I want to start with you. How are your strategies positioned at the moment? What is your asset allocation? And give me a general overview when it comes to general equity and balanced, if you would. Yeah, nice to talk to you again, Lindsay. Since we've last spoken, obviously a war and a lot of volatility in markets, very hawkish central banks, markets pricing in quite aggressive interest rate hikes globally, inflation being top of mind. It, it was top of mind coming into the year, but that's gone to a whole new level. So to your question about positioning, we, we have gone more cautious and we came into the year with, in our minds, a, an overweight sort of on growth assets, specifically on equity. We've pulled back, especially on the global equities, quite a lot. So we, in our minds, now much more neutral position from a asset allocation perspective, around about two-thirds or 65 64% in equities. Of that, only 19% are in offshore equities and the remainder on the SA equity side. We, we're still finding some attractive opportunities in the local market. Our local market is just from a valuation perspective looking much more attractive than, than global markets. We've been concerned about especially U.S. valuations for quite a while. And I guess the war and, and inflation spiking, the, the knock-on effects of, of a lot of that to Europe is, is a concern to markets, a slowdown in, in expected growth for Europe for at least the remainder of 2022 is a, is a concern. So European equities from a regional perspective have struggled. And then everybody's waiting to see the stimulus to come through on the Chinese side. And we haven't really seen that come through and, and therefore the markets are nervous on, on Chinese growth for the rest of the year. So if you had to sort of summarize that, we're struggling to see a lot of global positive catalysts for equities, while the dark clouds have definitely become darker and gathered even more from a, from a top-down perspective. If you had to ask me sort of an outlook for the remainder of the year, at least the next three to six months, our view is that you, you might have, you might look back in three to six months from now and say markets have given you two, three percent, but there was a lot of volatility in that two, three percent, you know, it would be up and down quite a lot with, with headlines and uncertainty. So so we've just taken a bit more of a cautious approach from an asset allocation, but also from a bottom-up level, more defense in the portfolios. It's quite interesting because if we were speaking two or three years ago, Hannes, it would have been exactly the opposite. You wouldn't have said 19% overseas. You would have been up to the limit that you were allowed. And suddenly it swung back towards South Africa. I just briefly before we go to Chris, how long do you think this cycle can continue? In other words, an almost defensive emerging market like South Africa can continue to outperform. Yeah, that's been a problem here to date. Anything that you held on the offshore side is down 7 8 9% in dollar terms. And, and then also the rand has strengthened 10%. I mean, we started the year just short of 16 rand to the dollar. And as we speak today, it's sitting at 14 rand 50. So investors on the global side have, have really had a tough first quarter for the year. Where we currently stand, our terms of trade, our real effective exchange rates have got quite a lot of, of tailwinds. Our treasury are collecting more revenue because of high commodity prices. And that is definitely giving the RAND a, a bit of support. And in addition to that, the bottom-up environment in South Africa has, has actually played out decent or not as bad as feared by, by most people. So that relative to a global uh, scenario where growth has, has been revised lower, 
interest rates have been revised higher. Just makes South Africa, especially in real terms, I mean, if you include South African government bonds, a more attractive investment destination than some of the opportunities we see on the global side. Okay, let's go to you now, Chris, because talking about opportunities in South Africa and domestic opportunities, obviously there's some overseas influence in some of the companies you're going to talk about, or rather the sector you're going to describe to me, South African banks. I speak to a lot of people about banks, Chris, and they say, it's a well-worn story. They say they're well-capitalized, they're well-managed, they've over-provided for bad debts, they've got undemanding valuations. Would you concur with those? And are, are there any more <laughs> arguments for South African banks? Yeah, good afternoon, Lindsay. I would concur with a lot of what you said. We've had a long-standing overweight position in the South African banks, and that's a position that's done us reasonably well over the last 18 months or so. And notwithstanding the underperformance of the last couple of days, we believe will continue to stand us in reasonably good stead. The banks themselves, as you indicate, well managed, well capitalized. And I would add to that that they're in a reasonable position from uh, an earnings outlook perspective, despite the fact that one will look around and look at the global macro environment and say, this is a pretty tough environment. There's lots of volatility. It's highly unpredictable. That's typically not an environment in which you'd want to be investing in a geared entity uh, such as a bank. But if we look at the earnings outlook for the banks uh, for the foreseeable future, we're in an environment domestically where I think the interest rate cycle is unambiguously upwards. But we still believe that due to some of the macro factors you touched on earlier, the rate cycle domestically is not going to be uh, of an order of magnitude to really uh, upset the South African consumer. We've seen very conservative credit disbursement from the banks over the last number of years. So we're coming into, if you like, this credit cycle on the back of modest credit growth for the last few years. Consumer balance sheets not massively stretched. Interest rates at very low levels currently bound to increase, uh, no doubt, but not increase to the level uh, where we think it's going to cause major, major impairment pain uh, amongst the banks. I guess add to that the fact that the banks themselves uh, took some pretty uh, heavy impairment charges in the 2020 financial year, somewhere between two and three times the typical annual charge. And a lot of those provisions are still sitting on bank balance sheets. So to the extent that there is a deterioration in credit quality, we would hope to see the banks can absorb a lot of that within their current on balance sheet provisioning. Now, we know that South African banks are very geared to a rising interest rate cycle. The so-called endowment effect will add materially to bottom line earnings for the banks. 100 basis points increase in rates will typically increase banks' pre-tax profitability, depending on which bank you talk about, by anything between one and a half and three and a half, four billion rand. So a nice kicker to the bottom line in a modestly rising interest rate environment. Impairment concerns that we think are reasonably modest right now. We've got an improving environment. It's not going to be a great environment either for credit growth or indeed for transactional activity. But remember, there are still base effects even in the 2021 financial year that we're lapping, which should make for you know, a modestly rising revenue environment. Operating costs are under tight control from the banks. You're seeing almost uniformly the banks uh, continuing to shed infrastructure, continuing to shed headcount uh, in an attempt to keep cost growth below inflation. So, you know, we're still reasonably positively predisposed towards the banks. We think the environment is decent, not exceptional. We think the valuation of the banks, even after the significant outperformance that we've seen, 
is reasonable. You've got attractive dividend yields of somewhere around 6%, even 7% prospectively, should provide some defensive characteristics to the banks as well. Okay, two things I want to pick up on. And sorry, Hannes, I'm going to stay with Chris on this one. The first thing is the interest rate environment, the rising interest rate environment. Does that allow banks to expand their margins? Because if an interest rate is 1% or if an interest rate is 10%, at 10%, the margins expand. That's my layman's view. That's the first question. The second question is the consumer's balance sheet. You talk about banks' balance sheets. but what about the consumer's balance sheet? I would imagine over the last couple of years, for various reasons which we need not go into, they've actually probably quite improved. So the first one was the interest rate environment. The second one was the consumer balance sheet, please, Chris. Yeah, let's talk about the interest rates. You know, the so-called endowment effect that I mentioned. Effectively, banks sit with a portion of their balance sheet funded through retail deposits upon which they pay no interest or very little interest. These are retail transactional accounts, savings account, call account, current account. So, you know, the money you have sitting with your bank in your current account, your daily transactional account, typically doesn't earn you any interest. The banks will usually lend that money out to a borrower at, in South Africa, typically a variable rate. And when interest rates go up, the rate on which they earn, the rate that they earn on those assets will increase, but the rate that they pay on those deposits doesn't increase. And as a consequence of that, you see a natural expansion of bank margins as interest rates rise. Banks also sit with capital, and their own capital costs them essentially costs them nothing. It's free capital. Clearly, they have to generate the appropriate return on it to their shareholders. But the actual interest rate cost of that capital is zero. That capital is invested typically, again, in variable rate uh, assets. And as interest rates rise, again, you will earn a higher return on those assets without having to pay up anything in terms of a higher interest cost. So rising interest rates means interest income goes up, interest expense doesn't go up anywhere near as much. And as a consequence of that, you see an expanding margin. And that's typically good for earnings as long as the higher interest rates don't precipitate increased bad debt expenses for the banks, which brings us quite neatly into the second point. And that's what's the state of the South African consumer balance sheet. And I think you've got to almost argue for a dichotomous consumer market in South Africa right now. You know, how can the consumer balance sheet be in decent shape when we've seen somewhere between one and a half million and two million jobs being lost over the last 24 months or so? How is it that consumer balance sheets can be described as reasonable? How is it that retail sales have come through much better than anticipated? How is it that bank impairments have been significantly lower than they had anticipated when they built these large preemptive provisions uh, during the 2020 financial year. And it all leads us to the point where the lower end of the market, the lower income consumer in South Africa, has typically suffered significantly in the last 24 months. They've suffered from job losses. They've probably suffered from a consumer basket that's increasing in excessive inflation. And they've typically suffered from, if they haven't lost their jobs, less overtime you know, fewer bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. So the lower end of the market has suffered and has suffered materially. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on where you look, that market has very little exposure to the formerly listed sectors of South Africa, whether it be on the retail side or whether it indeed be on the banking side. These are individuals who typically don't avail themselves of formal bank credit. And as a consequence of that, their financial woes haven't really manifest in negative impacts for the banks. 
If you take the balance of South African consumers, it certainly appears as though they've done significantly better than anticipated. They've benefited from 300 basis points top to bottom of rate cuts. Okay, We've seen that starting to reverse now. But 300 basis points of rate cuts in conjunction with very, very modest rates of credit extension, even subsequent to the implementation of IFRS 9 and even subsequent to, indeed, the implementation of Basel III, just beyond the global financial crisis, you've seen South African consumer credit growth being very modest indeed. So with lower interest rates and a lower debt burden, in fact, the South African consumer and their balance sheet has proven to be significantly more resilient than expected. Okay, so the debt burden is not as it might have been expected to be. If you'd have looked at the situation two years ago, the debt burden for corporates, which is actually not such a debt burden at all, and also more importantly for the consumer when it comes to the banking sector, is far, far better than expected. Hannes, can you match the enthusiasm of Chris Stewart when it comes to wrapping up this now? Because at what point do you say 19% overseas has to rise? Or is this going to go on of its own volition and then you'll manage it on a day-to-day, month-to-month, year-to-year basis? Please tell me how you feel about the markets at the moment and your strategies. Yeah, that's a good question, Lindsay. A lot of, a lot of clients look at our offshore, onshore and asset allocation process is a big call on the RAND and, you know, the RAND only. And based on that, we decide how much we should have invested where geographically. But from a bottom-up perspective, it's, it's, it's a completely different conversation when we construct portfolios. I mean, our process is around the fundamentals for each of the asset classes and stocks that we can invest in and the price you pay for it, the valuation that goes with it and market price behavior. We call that the compelling forces that support every asset class. And I mean, Chris Stewart just highlighted the, the, the opportunity in banks and dividend yield and the price you pay for the fairly attractive valuation of fundamentals that, that come for these banks, that the valuations are incredibly attractive for what you get. So we build portfolios from the bottom up. And the SA Inc. and banks specifically opportunity, the resources opportunity with supply demand dynamics being fairly tight for a lot of the commodities makes those two equity opportunities stand out as our conviction ones for us. And then SA government bonds in real terms make a lot of sense. At the end, South African clients want to beat inflation and they want to have inflation plus five over the medium to long term. You can buy a South African government bond on 9 or 10% yield uh, at the moment. And in real terms, that makes a lot of sense. So the, the decision about offshore versus onshore uh, from a bottom up is we go through a rigorous process of interrogating all the opportunities we have and then get to a strategic asset allocation that makes sense for clients to beat inflation over the medium to long term. And leveraging off the kind of work that Chris Stewart just highlighted, the analysts, the work that they do in South Africa, as well as our colleagues in London, that's how we get to the ultimate, not only general equity or equity-only products, but, but multi-asset products for South African pensioners. Gentlemen, thanks so much for your time. That was Hannes van der Berg, co-head of SA Equity and Multi-Asset, and Chris Stewart, sector head financials, both at 91 in Cape Town. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.